All right. Well, uh, thank you, everybody, for uh, for leading us this morning in different ways. Uh, this time, we're going to be diving into our Bibles and uh, spend the next uh, uh, few minutes um, in the book of Colossians. We're we're about uh, well, we're over three quarters of the way through our journey through the Bible, uh, which we're scheduled to uh, wrap up the end of August. So today, as I mentioned, we're, we're in, uh, in the book of Colossians. We're, we're into a five-part mini-series uh, that we've entitled Guess Who? Uh, because sometimes the last people that you'd expect are the very people whose lives God, choo- who, who God chooses and whose lives he changes. And uh, last week we were uh, thinking about the day that Paul uh, had his heart and life changed forever. Um, do people really change? You know, there's a lot of cynicism about this question. Um, is it real? Is the change real? Um, the cynicism is not unjustified. Uh, even scripture itself um, confirms our doubt that people really change. Prophet Jeremiah, he said, can, can the Ethiopian change his skin or the leopard his spots? Then also you can do good who are accustomed to do evil. We can no more change uh, the color of our skin than the inclination of our hearts. And uh, if, if, if real heart change were possible, then... It, it wouldn't really be a big deal when it happens, right? Uh, this is exactly where we need to start our conversation when we talk about the gospel of Jesus because um, that's where the, the gospel uh, tells us that we don't, we don't change uh, ourselves. We don't change our ways. Rather, we are transformed by him. He changes us. That's... That's where we need to start this conversation. And I invite you to pray with me at this time. Lord, we want to be uh, clear, focused in our minds today so that we can appreciate what you have for us from this portion of your word. And, and Lord, we need your help, as always, to, to clear our minds and to enable us to focus on the things that you want us to see, uh, to understand, and, and to act on this day. And... Um, we just uh, appreciate so much, Lord. We are so grateful for the grace that we have, that you extend to us in your son, Jesus. And for the difference, all of the difference that you make uh, in, our, in our lives. We give you all the glory for that and we pray that you would use your word to uh, affect your will in our lives this day. Thank you for the book of Colossians. Thank you for for Paul, and thank you for um, not only what you did for him, but what you have done through him, and giving us these uh, these lessons and these these texts. Um, uh, help us, Lord, be our teacher today. We pray in Jesus' name, Amen. So we're studying the letters of the apostles at the same time that we're going through the history of the early church, and that's actually a very uh, good way to study the letters, uh, the New Testament letters. Um, uh, 
let's jump in. Colossians chapter 1. If I seem a little bit divided in my attention this morning, it's probably because I've, my mind is sometimes gets, gets scattered and gets going in different directions. And uh, I'm sure that you, that never happens to you, but, but it happens to me on a regular basis. And then you have to get up in front of people and speak, and your mind is like, you know. So, so bear with me, if you will. Uh, Colossians chapter 1. Let's uh, jump in with the greeting, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. A very standard type of greeting, at least a very standard type of greeting for Paul. He's writing to a group of young Christians at, uh, in the region of Colossae uh, because he's heard about them. He's heard about their faith, uh, and, and he's thankful uh, for them. They are the fruit of the gospel that's bearing fruit in the, in the whole world, he's, he says here in the, the verses that follow. Uh, they, they've been changed and they're being changed by the gospel and he's, he's very grateful, very thankful for that. So he says in uh, verse 3 and uh, following, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints. Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Faith, hope, and love, right? Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. So the gospel bears fruit, and that fruit... Uh, it, it's changed lives is what that is. That's what it looks like. That's what Paul's thankful for here. And uh, there was a day uh, when the gospel began to bear fruit in these people's lives. And it was the day that they heard and understood uh, the grace of God in truth. Did you see that there? The grace of God in truth. Paul knows that God has begun a good work in their lives. Um, he's heard about their faith in the Lord, and he's heard about their love. And as he's heard those things, he realizes that, that the gospel of Jesus is, is transforming them. They're being changed. Uh, they both were changed and were being changed by the gospel. Uh, verse 6 uh, the last part of verse 6 is, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, verse 7 says, just as you learned it from Epiphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on, our, on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. Love seems to be a big thing here for Paul when he's considering the testimony that he's heard about these people and about their lives. Um, Paul writes in Romans chapter 5 about the love of God being shed abroad in our hearts by the Spirit who is given unto us. And so, uh, when, and then over in Galatians chapter 6, when Paul's, is it 6 or 5? Five, 5, when he talks about the fruit of the Spirit, he, 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 love is front and center, right? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, goodness, meekness, gentleness, 
and I forgot one or two, and self-control is the last one. Uh, you probably got them all. Um, but uh, but uh, he's, he's impressed, he's imp- that impressed him. That, that's a sign to him, that's a, a, a symbol. It's, a, it's more than that, it's a recognition that God is doing a work, uh, work in their lives. So the transformation began when they uh, understood the grace of God and to put a new love in their hearts and uh, that was a starting point for change. Uh, Paul says, since the day. That's the, his, the, the phrase he uses, since the day. But it was a, so it was a starting point. And then he was uh, uh, observing um, the, the reports of, the, of their lives, how they were growing in these things. And, and, and he prays and he, and he gives thanks for them. And he's thankful for them. And he tells them that he prays for them. And he's been praying for them, and he tells them what he is praying for them. And this is very helpful, Uh, verse 9 and 10. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work. That's changed life. That, that's life change. That's what life change looks like. That's what gospel fruit in your life looks like. And um, walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. Now, we're not worthy. And we know we're not worthy. But God can make us by his power and grace. He can enable us to walk in a manner worthy. And this idea of, uh, of walking is something that Paul picks up, uh, he, he, he expresses it here, and then he picks up on it several times throughout the letter to the Colossians, this idea of walking uh, being used as, as a metaphor for, uh, for living. And we, I, I like that. Our, uh, our uh, motto uh, as a church, if you will, is share the journey, and you know, life is a journey, and it's a journey we take together, it's a journey with him and with one another, and uh, that's, it's a bit, that's a biblical metaphor for our lives. Uh, life is, is a journey, and we walk through this world. We walk um, together, and Paul says we, uh, he prayed for these new Christians that they would walk in a manner worthy, and, um, and he's going to bring that up, uh, up, and up again and again. Now, uh, Paul's talking about the fruit of the gospel as a life change. Uh, how, how does it happen? What does he pray for them? These things are all very instructive. What does he, he pray for them? Well, he tells them right, right at start, he prays for, for, that they would have knowledge. Uh, he mentions knowledge, wisdom, and understanding. And uh, those three terms. Uh, then he mentions knowledge again in the last part of verse 10. So obviously that's really important. Uh, and if you think about it, it, it makes sense. How can we walk uh, in, a, in accordance to his will, which is what Paul says there, if we don't know what his will is? And so the, the knowledge part is important. The information, we need, we need that information. If we are going to uh, have a walk according to his will, then we need a knowledge of his will. And so Paul says he prays for them that they would have a knowledge uh, of, his, of God's will. But how many of you here know uh, 
that what we do, or what we know, sorry, and what we do are not the same things always, you know. And knowing what to do and being uh, uh, enabled to do what we know um, are two different things. And you know it, and I know it, and the Colossians knew it, and God knows it. Uh, Paul knew it, so he prayed not only for knowledge, but he prayed for strength and power. Look at verse 11. Being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. So the, the life, the kind of life change that Paul envisions for, as he prays for these people is not only the right information, but it's, it's the power that they needed to act on it. Uh, because, and here's the really important part of this, we do not change ourselves. We are not able to change ourselves. We need God to not only give us the right information, but he, we need God to empower us and to give us his strength. And then what does that look like? The last part of verse 11 and verse 12 says, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Um, you, ha- you have to like that little short list he puts there. It's endu- think about it. Endurance, patience, joy, and gratitude. These are, these are uh, all part of the fruit of the gospel. Um, patience and endurance and joy are all mentioned when Paul talks about the fruit of the Holy Spirit in Galatians chapter 5. And, and he mentions gratitude um, or thankfulness here. Now, giving thanks to the Father. Um, if you read through the book of Colossians and you observe carefully, you'll notice that Paul mentions this several times. He mentions uh, being thankful. He talks about how right off the start, how he's thankful for, the, for them. And then when he prays for them, he prays that they would be thankful. And then he brings it up uh, over and over, uh, which, is, uh, which is significant. The saints of light, um, he qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Um, you probably know that the scriptures uh, tell us that every Christian is a saint. Um, because every Christian is both changed and being changed according to God's will by the knowledge and the power that God uh, gives us in Christ. Now, I want you to think back to Paul's experience on the road to Damascus. We talked about that last week, if you were with us then. Um, As we look at verse 13 and verse 14 of Colossians chapter 1, I want you to think, think about that Damascus road experience that that, uh, that Paul had, because the person who's writing these words that we're, that we're reading this morning, is that's, that's him. That was his personal experience um, on the road to Damascus, the, the day that his, his heart and life changed forever. And uh, in Colossians chapter 1, verse 13 and 14, Paul says, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. 
in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Those are the kinds of things that God does, right? That's not something that we do. We don't deliver ourselves. We don't save ourselves. We don't change ourselves. Uh, we can't. We, are, we do not have that power. Now, I know that we uh, have a, a, a will, that God created us with a will and the ability to, to choose and make choices. But the Bible is very adamant, and Paul's very adamant throughout his teachings that, that um, when it comes to real heart and life change, we are powerless. We are dependent upon God. We need God. And we desperately need God to, to, uh, to change us. Now, the last uh, parts of Colossians chapter 1, if you just take a glance your eyes over verses 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, and 23, all about who Jesus is. Do you remember last week? Uh, when I shared uh, when we were in Acts 9 and we were also looking at Acts 22 and Acts 26 where Paul recounts his, uh, his story that in Acts chapter 22 he, he tells the crowd there that he, that he asked the Lord two questions that day. The first question was, who are you, Lord? Remember that? And Colossians 1, 15 to 23 is all about who Jesus is. He's the Lord of glory the creator of all, and savior, and only savior. And he, so he, he spells that out there. Then in chapter 1, verses 24 to 27, the, those uh, four verses um, could also be appreciated in reference to Saul's second question that day on the Damascus Road, which was the question, uh, what shall I do, Lord? Because in verses 24 to 27 of Colossians chapter 1, Paul talks about his, the things that he uh, had suffered in his life as, a, as, a, as an apostle, as a Christian, in order to uh, fulfill God's call upon his life uh, on mission. And he mentions specifically the Gentiles in verse 27, Colossians 1 verse 27. So that's just a sense of the content there. And... Uh, I'm going to get Aiden to put Acts 9 up for you. Acts 9, 15 and 16. This is from that encounter on the road to Damascus. Uh, this is Ananias, the Lord saying to Ananias, go to, uh, go to uh, Straight Street. I think it was Straight Street. And you're going to find uh, someone there, uh, Saul, named Saul. And he's praying. And he says, go for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Paul's sufferings on mission for Jesus are outlined um, in Colossians chapter uh, 1 verses 24 through 27. And then the last few verses in Colossians chapter 1 before we get into Colossians chapter 2 and 3 where we want to spend some time this morning. Uh, Colossians 1, 28, we, him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. This is one of those um, uh, statements in scripture that, that uh, very succinctly uh, explains the mystery of how we we choose and we act and we work and we strive 
but it's God's power that is working in us. And so this is a, it's an important uh, passage for understanding that. And in light of the, of the whole concept of, of, uh, that we're considering today, the change that God makes in a person's life, it's so important. It's, 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 uh, it's kind of like one of those uh, bottom line type understandings that we want to understand how God works in our lives or works in people's lives. Um, it's not our own strength. It's not our own power. We don't have that, that kind of power. Um, that's not our situation. Our situation is such that we are desperate and, and in need, in need for God to work. And if our lives are going to change, God is going to have to work. And that's what we need to be looking to him for. Um, and it's not just an individualistic type thing either, because as you go into chapter 2 of Colossians, he says, for I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you, and how for the, uh, those at Laodicea, and for all who have not seen, my face to, uh, seen me face to face, and their hearts that may be encouraged, I'm sorry, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and of the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ." in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And um, if it seems like Paul's reaching for words there, you know, I think he is because, you know, what what he's talking about is something so great. I mean, he's talking about Jesus and who Jesus is and what, what, uh, you know, what we have in him, uh, you know, and it's not easy to put those things into words because it's like trying to describe something that goes beyond words, uh, and that's why he uses, he talks about the knowledge of God's mystery there, which is Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. You know, so, studying scripture, it's almost like um, uh, being a miner and, uh, you know, digging, searching, hunting for, for treasures and, and finding uh, new things, uh, new mercies. His mercies are new every morning. Uh, the prophet Jeremiah wrote in the book of uh, Lamentations. And, you know, when, as we discover God's ability to meet the needs of our lives if we, as we look to him for that. Uh, so something we experience corporately, we experience it in community. And Paul is continuously adamant here, as you notice, as you read throughout, that it's all about Jesus and what we have in him. It's never about anything else or anyone else. It's about trusting in him and not trusting in ourselves, not trusting in anything or anyone else. Now, there is opposition to this. It's a, it's a battle. It's a war. It's, it's a fight. Uh, and Paul spends the next little while in his letter talking about, uh, about that opposition, which comes in the form of uh, deception. The great danger for us as Christians is that we be lured away into trusting or entrusting ourselves to something other than Jesus, or uh, that thinking that, that our lives can be fulfilled in something other than Jesus. Uh, chapter 2, verse 4 and 5. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. You know, Satan has no real power to obstruct the word of God and the work of God in our, in our lives, the power of God in our lives. But he is a liar. When the first very 
uh, first appearance of uh, the, the evil one in Scripture, in Genesis chapter 3, that's what he's doing, right? That's what we, what we find him doing, tempting uh, Adam and Eve through deceit, uh, making promises that, uh, he, that, that were false, and giving, giving them false information. And, uh, you know, he can't stop us. He can't, uh, he can't do that. But what we can do is send us down the wrong road. You know, he can put up those, those detour signs, those bogus detour signs. And that's the way Satan works. That's the way, that's what he does. It's like the old uh, Wiley Coyote in the Roadrunners uh, shows, right? Stick up a detour sign. Go this way, you know. Which is a cliff, but right, right. But that's that is how the evil one uh, works in our life, and that's how temptation works. But the, Paul's next statement that he makes, chapter two, verse six and seven, is a wonderful and concise uh, point that that's meant to keep us on track. He says, therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, uh, abounding in thanksgiving. So again, here we have the reference to walking, our walk. And Paul says, uh, just as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Um, Just like you got on this new road, this new path, how was that? By faith, by trusting in Christ. So how do we walk? By faith, trusting in Christ, and Christ alone. That's why in Romans chapter 1, Paul, when Paul says, from faith to faith, as it is written, the just will live by faith. So we walk the same way that, in the same way that we come, uh, initially come to Christ. And note again the reference there to thankfulness, right? I think thankfulness is one of the most unappreciated uh, virtues or underappreciated virtues, um, and why and why I say that is, uh, which is actually a little bit of a yeah underappreciated gratitude, thankfulness being un, un, underappreciated um, because there's great victory in 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 thankfulness. You know, the fact that Paul brings it up again and again, and he's going to do it again. He's he's going to bring it up again. More than once, again, he's going to bring it up again. Why, why is thankfulness so important? Well, if you think about it, um, there's great victory in gratitude. Because to be grateful is to recognize the gift that you've received. And you can't be thankful for something, truly thankful for something without appreciating it, Right? That's to say, you can't be truly thankful for something without appropriating it, without receiving it. And so, so, uh, so gratitude or thanksgiving becomes like a touch point in our lives. And uh, Paul, uh, Paul certainly emphasizes. Um, so from, that, from this point in the letter, Paul moves on to address some of the misinformation that was so problematic for the Christians at, at Colossae. He says in chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of the deity dwells bodily, 
and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. Understanding who Jesus is, understanding his greatness, understanding the riches uh, of Jesus, um, not allowing ourselves to be, uh, to be detoured or to be, um, uh, for our focus to shift, our attention to shift away from, from Jesus and what we have in him. Um, it uses the phrase, not according to Christ. Uh, where is that? The last part of verse 8. Then um, he, the rest of the chapter, he talks about, uh, he, mentioned, he brings up circumcision, which, is prob- which may not be something that you'll be tempted to put your trust in. But remember that Paul, that there was a great number of Jewish people in the, in the early church, and, uh, and it was a big issue for, for the Jews, because it was it represented a whole uh, system and way of life that the Jews were uh, um, steeped in, and was ingrained in them. And so it was hard for them to realize that Christ fulfilled all of, of those things on their their behalf. Look at verse 11. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. And so Paul's point to them there is that Christ is the fulfillment of what circumcision is meant to represent. And so uh, he, he, he's all that we need. And now, again, the, the information uh, coming at you and I in our day, may not, that might not be one of the things that God or that Satan might well, want to use to get you uh, off track, uh, to divert your attention away from your trust in him and put your trust in, uh, in other things or in other people. Um, but, uh, but there are things in our world today that... that that Satan does use to do that. And, and uh, whether it's, uh, you know, quite often it comes, it's coming out of Hollywood, you know, and maybe it's the, the Disney doctrine of follow your heart. I don't know. There's lots of messages out there that come at us that really are, uh, represent misinformation. They're, they're unhelpful detours that will lead us away from this, you know, this, this simple and singular trust in Christ and the relationship we have with him as a guide for, uh, as a guide for our lives and the, and the power uh, to move forward with our lives. He talks about uh, different things, traditions there. Um, uh, he talks about philosophy, some of the Greek philosophies that they would have been uh, tempted to uh, succumb to and uh, different uh, approaches from different groups that were around in those days that were um, being, you know, recommendations for how to live the good life, right? That's the, way it, that's the way it gets framed. That's always the way it gets framed, right? You wouldn't succumb to a temptation if you, if you didn't think it was something that was really going to be good for you, you know? I mean, really, you think this is, this is what I should do. This is, this is the way to go. This is the way I should live my life. Um, it, it includes a lot of restrictions. He mentions uh, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. And then he puts them all under one umbrella, the last of, uh, verse of the chapter. He says in Ch- uh, Colossians 2.23, these have indeed an appearance of wisdom 
And that's the problem, right? Is that sometimes these things can appear to be the right way to go. Um, in promoting self-made religion and aestheticism and severity to the body, but they have no, they have no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. And as you read through that section, which I trust that you will in the last uh, parts of chapter two, there you, um, you hopefully you will understand that Paul's not Paul's not saying we shouldn't be worried about indulging our flesh. Uh, that we shouldn't worry about those things. Um, but he, he's teaching that the way we live our lives in addressing these matters is by focusing, or should be, by focusing on our relationship with Christ and identifying with him and his death and his resurrection on our behalf. So as, he comes into, as we come into chapter 3, that's what, he's, that's what he wants to be um, us to be thinking about. So he starts chapter 3 by saying, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So that's a whole new sense of identity that Paul's talking about, isn't it? A whole new sense of identity. Last week we talked about Saul on the road to Damascus and, and uh, I said to you at that time that the, the one thing that was undeniable and undeniably important is that the man who got up off that ground that day was not the same man who fell to the ground that day. He was changed. He wasn't the same person. And that was the main point. That's the biggest point for us to take away. And it's the point that we're, that we're really talking about today too because, because that, that change uh, represents a change of identity. It's a whole new sense uh, of, of identity. And, and Paul bases the whole idea of life change on this, this new uh, identity. When we think about the cynicism that surrounds this subject of people actually changing, uh, let's be clear on what uh, the gospel actually is claiming and proposing. Paul wrote to the Corinthians, he said, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. It is Jesus that, that, that used the phrase uh, uh, born again. That's new life. That's new identity. Born, he's born of the Spirit. The prophets, the Old Testament prophets, foretold of a day when, when we, uh, God's people would receive new hearts. What is, what is that? What, it was, what does it mean to have a, a new heart? Life in Scripture is relational. And I believe this has everything to do with our relationship with Lord, with the Lord. We ha have a new heart because we have a new affection for Jesus. We go from not knowing him or knowing his love or his grace or his forgiveness to knowing him and having a relationship with him and an affection for him. And it's on that basis that Paul then addresses the various issues of what he refers to as the, the works of the flesh and tells us to put them off 
and to put on the virtues that he outlines in chapter 3. And I think one of the most important things as we go through the, the material here from Paul's letter to the Colossians is that we consider these, these um, character traits or virtues um, that he lays out there and how it's supposed to happen in our lives. Uh, let's just take a quick look at them. Uh, chapter 3, verses 5 through 11. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them. And there's that metaphor of walking again. Uh, verse 8 says, but now you must put them all away. And then he mentions a bunch more, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. So there is something, he's talking about something that has happened and is happening. You are changed and you are being changed. Uh, you are being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here then is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. It's always about Jesus and it's always about our trust in Jesus. You will not be able to uh, put these things off of your own strength. I, I can't do that. I can't, I can't uh, put those things off in my own strength. I, I can't. I won't be able to. It, it will only be as my focus is on him and I'm getting my sense of identity as a new person from him. Um, it's almost like Paul saying, live like the new person you are. Do you believe in Jesus? Uh, do you love Jesus? Do you belong to Jesus? Then don't simply do the things you used to do before you knew Jesus, loved Jesus, and belonged to Jesus. And then he talks about the things we're supposed to put on, Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 17. And the list that we just read uh, of all of those um, despicable things that plague our lives that we need to put off uh, is this list that he, of things that he tell, calls us to put on is, is just a, a spectacular and marvelous and beautiful description of what it means to live a life worthy, to walk worthy, uh, or walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Look at, look at them with me. Chapter 3, verses 12 through 17. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must forgive. You see there the community, the corporate nature of this life change. It's not just an individualistic type of thing. It's, it's uh, something that we experience together in community. We experience it in our hearts. It's, it involves heart change by the power, knowledge and power of God, but, it, but, it, but it's worked out um, in our relationships with one another. And that's why he says on verse 14, and above all of these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which you indeed uh, were called in one body. 
and be thankful. <laughs> he keeps bringing it up. Be thankful. Don't forget to be thankful. Do you know in Romans chapter 1 when Paul describes the, uh, the, the uh, sequence of events uh, at the fall when, when our first parents fell into sin when he, uh, and the fallout from that, when he describes it, be, being unthankful is the first thing he mentions. Being unthankful is the first step on the road off the cliff. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another with all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. What, and whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. What an incredible uh, description of a life uh, of walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. Do you believe in Jesus? Do you love Jesus? Do you belong to Jesus? Then if you do, then, then uh, this is what heart change looks like. This is what life change looks like. Um, in the verses that follow, that's... Uh, Colossians chapter 3, verses 18 to chapter 4, verse 1. Paul um, outlines uh, some, uh, com some comments directed towards our home life and our work life. And you can read them there if you haven't. And then he makes a few final remarks um, in the first part of chapter four before he moves on to a number of personal greetings. Paul ended a lot of his, uh, his letters, or most of his letters, with those personal greetings. And they're, they're, um, they, they are instructive and they have value to us. I encourage you to read through those personal greetings because they do have value to us. They, again, show that whole community or corporate nature of, of, of the Christian life as we live it together. And... Uh, uh, you know, and, and, the, and the love and, and the peace and the, and the bearing with one another and all of that factors in there, right? So I encourage you to read those. But his final remarks uh, in, in terms of the teaching section of his letter are in verses 2, 3, 4, 5, 6 of chapter 4. And I just want to read those together um, before I make uh, a few concluding remarks this morning. Continue steadfastly in prayer being watchful in it with thanksgiving. I can't remember where I was recently where we talked, the subject of prayer come up and, I, and, 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 and one of the thoughts that, uh, that came to, to us at that time in that discussion we were having, I don't remember where it was, was the whole idea of how uh, prayer is, um, when we pray, we are, we're depending on God to work and we are admitting our inability to do the things we're asking God to do. So it's very fundamental, isn't it, to Christian life. And, uh, and then he says, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. I, I, think, I think you have to say that thanksgiving is really important, don't you? Yeah. And when it comes to prayer and watchfulness, thanksgiving. <laughs> At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison. 
Yeah, he's writing from prison. And he's writing about being thankful. That sh- we shouldn't miss that. That I may make it clear. Pray for me, he's saying, that a, word, that a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ. That I may be, make it clear which is now how I ought to speak. And then verse 5 and 6, walk in wisdom toward outsiders. There's that walk metaphor again. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to, you ought to answer each person. So prayer and thanksgiving and mission. Paul's mission Pray for me, he said, because I'm on mission. Might not look like I'm on mission because I'm in prison, but believe me, I'm on mission. So pray for me. Pray that I'll be able to open my mouth and say uh, and speak how I should speak. And then he says, and you too, uh, you need to walk in wisdom and uh, make sure that you make the best use of the time, which would be a reference to being on mission, right? Let your speech always be gracious. This is how you need to be on, on mission. Um, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you might answer uh, each person. How we relate to people. How we speak to people. And how it always needs to be as well as all of this that we've been looking at out of that new sense of identity that we have in, in, in Jesus. Where does your sense of identity come from? How do you think of yourself? Who do you think of yourself being? Who are you? It's a very important question because if I'm reading this correctly, how we live our lives will be determined by how that question gets answered. And Paul calls us to press into that relationship that we have with Christ. Maybe it's a new relationship. Maybe you're just starting out on, the, on this relationship or maybe you've been walking with the Lord for many years. But in either case, how that happens and what it looks like is the same. From faith to faith, the just shall live by faith. As you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, Paul wrote in chapter two, so walk in him. In him. There are no more two important words in all the scripture than those two words right there, in him. It's all found in him. It's all found in our relationship that we have in him. That's our identity. That's the identity of the one who's had their life changed by an encounter with Jesus Christ when you experience his grace and his forgiveness. It's transformative. It changes your life. And that is both an instant in time and a progression throughout our lives as we grow in that, as we walk in that.
as I was uh, just before I I pray with you, I, I just ask you to um, cast your eyes back and your minds back to Colossians chapter three, that list. You know, what does it look like? I think this is one of the the most uh, beautiful descriptions in all of the Word of God of what a Christian uh, life should look like progressively. Uh, he says, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, that's who you are. Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another, uh, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. And above all, put on love, which binds together everything in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whatever you do, whatever you do, do it all. Do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. That's identity in the name of the Lord Jesus. You call yourself a Christian, that means that you get your identity from Christ. Your new, your new identity. Giving thanks to God the Father through him. Will you pray with me this morning? Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the letter to the Colossians that Paul wrote to these young Christians. And I thank you, Lord, that you've, you've, um, you've uh, reserved it for us as well. And uh, that we can, we can read these words uh, that the apostle has written by inspiration of your Holy Spirit. And we can apply them to our lives because we can know. Uh, how you want to change our lives and how you want to work in our lives and, and, the, with an, and have the knowledge and the power to live and walk in a manner worthy of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, we just pause now to pray, Lord, that you would do this work in us, that you would continue to do the work that you have begun, that began the day that we understood the gospel of grace in truth. Lord, we need you. We need you every hour of every day. We need you in every way. And Lord, enable us, we pray, that everything we do might be done in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.